Welcome back, Actastic listeners, to another episode of the Accelerate video podcast series, where we continue to dive into topics at the core of how agriculture industry can thoughtfully accelerate digital transformation as we focus on delivering impact for today and build for the future. My name is Sujit Janardhanan. I lead marketing at Kraben. And agriculture is one of the most important sectors for many developing countries, providing employment and livelihoods for millions of people. According to the latest article from the World Bank, agriculture is crucial to economic growth, accounting for 4% of the global gross domestic product, GDP. And in some least developing countries, it can account for more than 25% of their GDP. However, this sector faces numerous challenges, such as climate change, land degradation, and a need for more investment in modern technology and infrastructure. The brunt of these challenges is majorly faced by the segment which holds the majority stake in the agri-food value chain, and also the most marginalized, the smallholder farmers. According to the FAO, smallholder farmers are estimated to provide up to 80% of the food consumed in Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, and account for a significant share of agriculture production in other regions. In this episode, we aim to provide insights into how agricultural transformation can address these challenges and improve the productivity and profitability of smallholder farmers by adopting latest technologies. We will also explore the various aspects of agricultural transformation, including digitalization, developing value chains, and creating enabling policies. We will discuss the benefits of agricultural transformation and how one can leverage technologies for the sustainable development of rural communities. And to do that, we today have Dr. Rufaro Marakadze, a senior program officer in the Extension and Capacity Building Unit of the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, AGRA. She has over 25 years of experience in research, rural development, and consulting, funded by various donor organizations globally on smallholder and commercial horticulture. Welcome, Rufaro. Super excited and really looking forward to dive into the insights and experience that you could share with our audience today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, um, Sujit. Um, looking forward to the conversation. Likewise, Rufaro. Rufaro, let me dive straight in, right? With your extensive experience of working across the African continent, what are some of the most pressing challenges uh, from your experience that smallholder farmers face in the continent and how, how can agriculture transformation help address some of these issues at a fundamental level? So inclusive uh, agriculture transformation is a complex um, system uh, that is actually working with smallholder farmers to improve productivity, to improve marketing, to improve post-service handling of farmers, so that they are able to change the food systems on the continent. So the most pressing challenges that we have so far is really, the, the main one is making the agriculture uh, profitable for the farmers. Are uh, the farmers making money from the agriculture? Are uh, they finding value for the investment they put in agriculture? Are they obtaining adequate food? Do they get decent returns from their efforts from functional market systems? This is, of course, um, 
layered on low productivity and high cost of production that is already uh, the, the, the order of the day, especially in Africa. And the low productivity is attributed to wrong technologies or very little use of technologies, poor environments, now aggravated by climate change and lack of information to make better choices. So to actually make this system work, uh, we need to modernize the agriculture sector and to modernize this sector um, requires um, increased adoption of the technologies. This increases efficiency of the system and profitability. And it actually mainly, it's mainly layered on the adoption of the new technologies, the practices that can actually work uh, to, to modernize the system. So what AGRA is doing is intervening at strengthening seed systems of a wide range of crops, supporting sustainable farming systems, which strengthens resilience and builds capacity of markets, as well as create an enabling environment for all the systems to function well. And on this, we have nutrition, climate change, and gender and inclusivity is cross-cutting in all these interventions. So as I said, it's very complex, but the main, main problem is the challenge of making the agriculture profitable to them, to the smallholder farmers. And I, I couldn't agree with you more, Rafara. I, I, I'll just reiterate some of the keywords that you called out, right? Point number one, uh, building something that's inclusive, sustainable, mm -hmm and more importantly, profitable for uh, the smallholder farmers uh, is, is a pretty complex uh, challenge, and especially when you look at the diversity uh, across uh, the African subcontinent, uh, is definitely something that is, is not an easy one to really address. And, and since you do a lot of work uh, across countries in Africa, can you share some success stories or examples where agricultural transformation has significantly impacted the lives of smallholder farmers and especially the communities uh, across across the region. Yes, we actually started. It was started in two thousand and six, and since then we have impacted over twenty six million smallholder farmers. Thirty five percent of the ones we worked with were female, um, and we've worked with them on introduction of crop new crop improved crop varieties that are drought tolerant, that are pest resistant, that are high yielding, that are adapted to the ecologies. We have also improved last mile delivery of the knowledge that the farmers access. The farmers are now accessing knowledge through digital means, through improved uh, extension reach. Uh, we have uh, worked on improving the inputs and output markets and adoption of sustainable farming practices. For instance, through working with uh, different research institutions, we have supported the release of over 600 new crop varieties of 10, of more than 10 priority crops. These crops include the finger millet, sorghums, pearl millet, uh, rice, beans, it's a wide range of crops, sweet potatoes. Um, and these varieties um, have been supported to by now extension systems so that the farmers have access to them. 
they've been supported by the seed industry. The seed industry has multiplied over 80% of these release varieties to be able for, for them to be able to reach farmers. And what has happened actually is that we have had serious yield increases in maize in Ethiopia from 1.7 metric tons 10 years ago to over four metric tons, in which it has increased from three metric tons in just 2017 to now over 4.6 metric tons and in, 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 in just in the southern region of Ethiopia. And in Kaduna and Niger states of Nigeria, rice yields have increased from two metric tons to over four metric tons. And in, in Kenya this time, we have started a program on regenerative agricultural practices. And these have actually started to, make, to, to, to gain traction through the adoption of various practices, including water conservation, use of zypids, agroforestry, soil nutrition management, and crop management, uh, mulching, intercropping, crop rotation, with some farmers who are practicing these uh, practices not heavily affected by the recent droughts. So those are some of the examples that I can come up with for now. Oh, fabulous. I just loved some of the uh, the impact numbers that you shared, uh, Rufaro. And and you you called out uh, the fact of how uh, new crop varieties were introduced and how you could impact actually the production for those crops, um, actually deploying uh, best practices, regenerative agriculture practices, and all of that does require digital technology. So I'm going to touch upon two aspects, but let me first touch upon uh, first the digitalization part of it. In your opinion, and since you've deployed and been part of so many programs across the, across the region, how can digitalization and modern technologies be effectively integrated into the agricultural practices of smallholder farmers to improve productivity and profitability for them, especially considering the fact that there is a huge gap as far as digital empowerment and training is concerned for, for these growers and farmers, and they are being introduced the, to these for the first mm -hmm. time. Um, would love to hear your thoughts and how have you seen some of these being successfully integrated? So... Um, digital technology already have already stated is transforming the agriculture sector through the application of innovative tools and new business models. For the first time, many of the people in the value chain, including smallholder farmers who are at the center of what we do, have access to real-time data, computational power, making it possible for them to actually make decisions. Um, to, pro, to access credit, to access microinsurance. So basically digitalization builds and brings closer to the farmer new and existing uh, knowledge to improve the efficiency of their practices. So the new businesses that have actually uh, came up, come up or improvement of new business, I can give you an example of a platform in Agra called Value for Help. It's a platform for mainly female uh, SMEs that work with smallholder women suppliers. So it connects SMEs and farmers directly with markets, with service providers, with aggregators, uh, building the capacity of the, 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 the SMEs and the, 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 the farmers as well. So it's created a sharing economy 
that made it possible for smallholder farmers to efficiently access even mechanized tools to improve their crop yields. And the benefits, the good thing about the digitalization is the benefits go beyond the increased yields to attracting and integrating youth into the agriculture sector, especially through entry points like precision farming, equipment leasing, service provision, e-commerce, the, the whole logistics bit of, of, of farming. And it's, it's a tool that as Agra we are exploring to attract a lot more youth into off-farm uh, and on-farm production systems. And I think it's a known fact that in the continent, over 70% of the population is under 30 years of age. So we are using the digitalization, digital tools in markets, in inputs, in production aspects. Um, but I have to tell you one of the, 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 the weaknesses that we as, as an institution will look to address are some of the infrastructure issues that make it not possible to reach in all the areas that we work with. Very interesting. I, I, I found this pretty insightful, right? You, you have actually found a great demographic advantage that the region has as far as uh, the, the youth is concerned. And I think, and, and getting them to adopt our uh, digital technologies as well as other modern technologies for uh, making a more productive farming uh, or agricultural ecosystem is a great way to also ensure the next generations continue uh, the whole journey of building the agricultural ecosystem for the region. But you also touched upon a fact that there is a lot more uh, that it involves. And I think besides integrating digital technologies into the whole uh, whole program and value chain, it is also to, also to understand how can smallholder farmers themselves be integrated or better integrated into the overall agriculture value chain uh, while driving or thinking of agriculture transformation programs. Um, can you share some of your thoughts around how can we better integrate these farmers into the overall value chain so that we can maximize benefits for them? Yeah. So I think if we have value chains that do not have smallholder farmers, then we already miss the point. The smallholder farmers, as you said in the beginning, produce 80% of the food. So they should be an intrinsic part of the value chain. And they should be knowledgeable, they should be informed, they should be linked to input and output markets and be able to reap benefits from it. So the value chain actors that work with smallholder farmers can be brought together on the same digital platforms, which helps producers and suppliers to respond quickly to a particular demand in the market as they have access to real-time data. So the, the main issue for to, to in, include uh, the smallholder pharmacies here needed is the building their capacity and knowledge to participate effectively in the value chain through various farming communities, through various systems. So we need a system or models of building the capacity of the smallholder farmers. In Agra, we have, I think with crop in, we have started working on digitalization of the VBAs who work with smallholder farmers. So not every smallholder farmer may have a smartphone, may have um, other digital tools, 
But if you have the people who are farmer facing with the tools, with access to information that they can actually maybe even use now, even the feature phones to send WhatsApp messages or to send um, messages about what needs to be to happen, that would be really great. So those are some of the things we are working on. I love the point around uh, helping farmers building capacity so that they can really be active uh, components in, in an integrated value chain is, is a great call out. And um, I, I, I also, uh, in fact, the call out that you made of the program that we're currently deploying in partnership with Agra, where we are enabling village-based advisors to, to really digitally empower themselves as well as also support the growers and farmers that they are engaging with is a great model. In fact, that's a model that we are um, bringing forth and surfacing to several other governments and, and entities that we're working with in other regions too, because we truly believe that is a sustainable and scalable model. So thank you for the partnership on that. But that brings me to the, the role of various players in this ecosystem can play. In. And, and I think from your experience, can you, can you share, how do you see the role of governments, the private sector, and development partners in supporting smallholder farmers uh, while we are trying to all together drive agricultural transformation? What role could each of these players really play? So that is an easy question for us <laughs> because Agra works with a wide range of partners. We work with governments, we work with private sector, we work with civil societies. So doing one by one for the government, for us, government is a critical stakeholder. We partner with the governments in addressing the agricultural challenges to ensure sustainable food security and incomes for their citizens. For, in, for instance, governments uh, need to create an enabling environment through which farmers and agribusinesses can thrive. So this includes a complexity of issues that include prices, that includes licenses, that includes how we interface with external markets, um, platforms for engagement and advocacy. So the work of AGRA with these, these partners is supporting the process of policy development, policy implementation through capacity building of the government institutions as well. For the private sector, um, it plays a key role across the value chain in providing expertise in providing inputs and other services in providing markets for farmers so as agra we work with all of these partners to strengthen access to critical inputs and in their distribution in smallholder farmers um the village based advi advisors we talked about and the retail agro dealers are almost like the last mile part of the private sector because a lot of the private sectors bigger companies, they can't go work with the one each with each one of the smallholder farmers. So if we have systems of aggregating them and working with retail agro dealers or with VBAs, it makes it easier for the private sector to reach the, the smallholder farmers with technologies. The development partners, which which includes Agra as well, um, our role here is really as a resource and technique to provide resources and technical support where necessary to support not only the government, but also the private sector interventions in building stronger systems. Development partners 
uh, need to find catalytic nodes in the value chain in which we can intervene. It's not always the 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 the, the part that it's not. We can't. I think as development partners, they can't intervene across the whole value chain. Otherwise, they will take the role of government. But what are those catalytic places? What are those parts of the system that if you intervene, then you can actually cause a significant improvement in the system? So that's the role of the, 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 the uh, development partners, I think. And all three partners need to be working together so that there are no duplications, so that there is uh, concurrence on what is happening to make sure that the support that is given to the smallholder farmers is concrete and is, 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 is good. Insightful. I'm, I'm going to ask a, a, a tough question here, Rufara, from your experience of the, the three ecosystem players that, that we just referred to in this, in, in this particular thread, which player do you believe should really take the lead? And the reason why I asked this question around taking the lead is two. One is ensuring that there is a common uh, uh, working understanding of what, what everyone has to play as role. That's one. Second is even the call out where you mentioned development partners identifying catalytic nodes that can truly accelerate how transformation can happen, especially impacting smallholder farmers, can be pretty complex if there isn't a common understanding of what's that, that working framework. So who do you think should they take the lead? And do you have examples of a couple of these catalytic nodes that you have figured out as part of your work across various programs that you have deployed in the region? So... I think yeah, this is it. This yeah, yeah, right. This is a tough question. Um, I think the the biggest player should be the government. We know it's bureaucratic. We know sometimes not very easy to work with, but if all the interventions that we make, if all the interventions that we make are targeted are targeted at addressing the government's priorities then we are actually solving some of their problems. And if the government develops policies and implements the policies that enable even the private sector to operate, then we can actually go a lot further. And the catalytic notes, I will give you, we have a, done is what is called seed search analysis. Uh, seed system analysis. We have a seed search tool, which is a seed system analytical tool that we are using to 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 assess what interventions Agra can do in seed system. This um, tool actually looks at every aspect of the seed system, from breeding and variety release to uh, raising farmer awareness to the national policies, to the national coordination, to the marketing of the seeds, to the production of the seeds. So it has almost eight nodes. So what we have done is we have worked with about 10 governments so far to actually assess the strength and capacity of those nodes in the seed system. And each of the governments, in each of the governments, we are, we are noting different things. I'll give you, for example, in Kenya, Kenya has very good regulatory policies. It has very 
thriving uh, seed businesses, uh, but the weak point is farm awareness. The fact that you have seed companies that are producing seeds does not mean that the farmers know the seed is there. Right. Um, I'll give you another example. An example of Burkina Faso, for instance. Burkina Faso, the, the, the extension system is also not so, so, so good, but the, the farmers are not aware of some of the current varieties that are actually climate smart. Uh, the private sector is still growing, is still developing. Um, the regulatory systems are quite good. So you can actually now look at the whole system and look at a country like Malawi and say in Malawi, the seed laws are working. The farm awareness is there. We need to strengthen the early generation seed production. So that's how we've been working on identifying the nodes. So each of the, 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 the business lines we work in, we work in seeds, we work in sustainable farming, we work in inclusive markets and trades and in policies. Each of these have some form of systems that you can actually see where exactly do we, can we invest to catalyze change in the system. I hope thank you for sharing Sorry for I cut you off, but, but thank you for sharing those uh, insightful examples. And uh, you touched upon both key policies uh, that you've seen in action to enable as well as regulatory frameworks. And I wanted to touch upon this particular topic. And what do you think could be some of the key policies, especially from the experience that you've seen been working and helping acceleration of agricultural transformation and regulatory frameworks that help ensure that uh, smallholder farmers are not just enabled, but we also ensure that their interests are taken care of? And how can stakeholders collaborate to create these enabling environments with these policies and frameworks? So as AGRA, we have really worked, intervened in a few policy areas that affect smallholder farmers. We had a project called Micro Reform Program, which was looking at some of those um, policies that affect like the seeds, the fertilizers, the extension, mechanization, markets, irrigation, phytosanitary regulatory frameworks and the demand for, 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 for intervention and or support, request for support was coming from the governments themselves. So I'll give you an example. In Kenya, just recently, AGRA supported the Kenya government to revamp its national extension policy. So we, the, the, now is the Kenya agricultural extension policy, which includes uh, aspects of private sector extension and some of the county governments in the country have already started, I'll give you, I think we have about four or five county governments, uh, Makueni, Kiambu, Nakuru, that are now already institutionalizing this private sector extension system at county level. Um, there is also a, a sector working group for policy laws and standards that has just approved the Kenya seed policy uh, which is now going to be subjected to stakeholder consultation at county level. When we are working with the governments to develop policies, we work with stakeholders from the inception, from um, what policies are needed. Is We work with the stakeholders to identify how they can be crafted. We work with the various stakeholders, both public and private sector, to 
to, to, to come up with ideas of how this can come up together. And even when the policies are there, they will go back to the stakeholders to say, is this the right policy? How do we measure it? Um, and it's, it's like for the seed policy I talked about for Kenya, it's we are helping the government revise and improve a national seed policy of 2010. So this policy is old. So the new policy now is inclusive of both formal and informal seed systems. So the work we do, because we realized initially we were counting, we help support this government to do a seed law, to do a fertilizer law, and we were patting ourselves on the back. Then we realized we need a system that actually helps the governments to implement the policies. So we now have a state capacity unit um, that is accompanied, but that actually strengthens institutional capacities to implement the policies, to develop regulations and other legal instruments, and to be able to actually track uh, the progress. To have MND systems that track the progress is the policy working. What are some of the challenges? Those are some of the things that we are doing in policy work in Accra. I love the depth of the work that you're doing with with governments and with and with the ecosystems uh, uh, that you operate in. <clears throat> Just a connected question is: Are you seeing an acceleration of best practices around policies and frameworks that uh, governments across the region are are more than happy to learn from and and probably adapt and adopt uh, for their own countries is for their smallholder farmer communities, etc. Is is that something that you're seeing more and more of? Yes, we, we, we absolutely. Um, we, because we are working in about 15 countries now, <laughs> we've just added four more countries to the 11 we're working on. Um, there is a lot of learning, cross-learning on what to do and how to do it in, in, in various countries. And we've actually had learning missions of Ministry of Governments go from one country to come to Kenya to see what do they do on on, 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 on early generation seed, what do they do on on, on seed certification, things like that. And that helps build the capacity of the other countries as well. Awesome. I, I'm going to um, touch upon a, a, a key point that you called out right in the beginning. Uh, building an inclusive uh, ecosystem is really, really challenging. Can you throw some light on strategies and initiatives that you've seen really uh, deliver outcomes towards driving more inclusivity, especially when you look at gender mm -hmm. inclusivity, also bringing in marginalized segments, even within the smallholder farmers, uh, and bring them to be a lot more integrated and bring more and more into, into the overall system. Uh, could you share some of the examples as well as strategies that would have probably worked out? So um, our first strategy in two, 2006 to about 2015 was about building the capacities of various value chain actors. And from 2017 to 2023, we pivoted to actually working, uh, building strong integrated value chain support to smallholder farmers through what we call a consortia approach. So the consortia approach works with both public and private sector partners to provide from inputs, knowledge, markets up to consumption. 
Um, I can give you an example. In Mozambique, through this approach, smallholder farmers in the Beira and Nakala corridors have choice and access to a wide range of varieties of both maize and soybean, access to trained village-based advisors providing practical knowledge um, on all aspects of the production and marketing, and also a ready market through SMEs that offtake to larger uh, offtakers um, such as a billion tunes, ETG, um, and we have actually worked at building the capacity of the VBS in retail agro dealers in villages in the business of ensuring farmers have shorter distances to access what they need. So in Mozambique now, over 70% of the VBAs are engaged in some form of business. How do we now make sure that the farmers, the, the women are involved? I'll give you an example of one woman we met in, in, in Mozambique. They, they would harvest their produce, their husband carries the produce to the market, gets the money, by the time he comes home, the money is half. But now with aggregation at village level, the farmers are given the money there, and the women actually also see the money. So that's one of the, 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 the things we are doing. But in, in, in all our interventions, as I said, when I started talking about what Agra does, gender in inclusivity is critical because it ensures actually effective contribution and participation of more than half the population. And I think as I mentioned that we've working with about 35% smallholder farmers. Um, and we know that already there is a, a, a yield productivity gap between male and female farmers. So the steps we are taking that can be taken are to ensure that women and marginalized groups have increased and customized access to information, to finance, credit, technologies, and know-how. And where we have training programs, um, this has been happening quite a bit, where we have training programs to make sure these are designed in a way that address, addresses the specific challenges and needs of these groups. Um, the, one of the things that we were worried about a bit was with digitalization, it's a men and young people who quickly get the smartphones, the big things. So what we are doing is to make sure that the impact of interventions such as digitalization are inclusive and deliberate to not increase the gender divide even further. I absolutely love the the on ground context that you um, and team are are aware of and are ensuring that you use that to uh, level the the playing field, ensure that marginalized segments, including uh, from a gender inclusivity perspective, you were able to bring them together and include them into the overall system and and integrate mm -hmm. them. It's it's amazing. I can only visualize um, uh, the work uh, that the teams have to do on ground to be able to ensure that they identify these insights and really figure out ways and means to integrate it into the overall program. So kudos to uh, to Agra team uh, for really pulling this off. I want to touch, touch upon another, another key element that uh, is probably impacting uh, growers and farmers across uh, across the world, but... I want to dive into specifically for smallholder farmers, and that's climate change. 
there is there is uh, no second thoughts around the growing threat and the impact of climate change um what could we take care of as part of agriculture transformation initiatives and efforts to ensure that we can build resilience and sustainability for especially this segment of growers uh from your experience of of building out programs and rolling out uh, uh these successfully uh, targeted for the small smallholder farmers hmm yeah we 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 are really um uh, working to address this because it's it's really huge um and it's huge because most of african agriculture is dependent on rain and so extremely exposed to to climate shocks and stresses and we now know that with the climate change extensive areas of africa will probably exceed the 2 degree celsius warming above pre industrial levels so we are already expecting reduced rainfall we are already expecting maybe shifts or changes and shifts in the crops that are grown because it's not only reduced rainfall it's also the distribution of the rainfall is a problem so there will be shifts in the distribution of the rainfall just two or so months ago we had we had huge floods um in cyclones that actually uh reduced to to almost zero um yields of farmers in all of southern malawi and parts of northern mozambique so these are things that we need to actually we 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 need to work on um so the impact because the impact is not only on production it also affects part of the the agribusinesses that come from the production so we need this is something we need to address so we are actually working with the the governments uh with the 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 institutions to make sure that the agriculture transformation we you, we 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 build uh will be responsive to systems that answer to the needs of the people to the needs of the planet to the needs of the climate um so we are using integrated approaches that are cross sectoral and build on the overall well-being of the people uh we are building capacities of smallholder farmers to 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 respond to the climate change we are building capacities of um national institutions i'm just i was just thinking because we were in malawi uh a few weeks ago thinking that if the farmers in those areas had received an early warning there would have even been less loss of lives so we we are ensuring we are building not only the capacity of the institutions the capacity of the farmers to 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 respond to react and to 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 survive some of these changes um we are and in doing that we are building what we call social and environmental assets in addition to food security such to to increase the incomes uh when we are talking of social um income we are talking about inclusion of the women inclusion of a lot of other people to 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 buffer and to aid in re- response to to some of the the the, the shocks environmental assets include the um 
improving irrigation, improving, uh, diversifying the crops that the farmers grow so that when there's a shock, not everything washes away. When there's a shock, something will survive um, and build uh, growing crop, crop, tree crops, uh, build growing forests. There are so many things that the farmers can actually benefit from that. So those are some of the things that we are doing. Um, it's We are also looking at even safety nets um, as part of the social capital. Um, so those are some of the things we are doing. Um, super, as in super interesting, as in I love the grounds up fundamental building blocks approach to solving for uh, how how the the smallholder farmer communities can really address and and probably face the threat of climate change as it, because it's real and we'll all have to do our job as far as enabling this segment is concerned. Finally, uh, Rafar, I know we covered a bunch of topics in in today's episode, but what are some of your thoughts on the future of agriculture transformation, where smallholder farmers are right at the core, and what you believe would be some of the most promising technologies or innovations? that will shape the future of the sector in the coming years? Hmm. The future. This is, this is a tough question for me because I'm quite passionate about everything and I think everything is critical. Um, but I think um, the future, agriculture by nature, if it's done well, it's an industry, it's a trillion dollar industry that could actually create wealth on the continent. So for me, the most promising technologies and innovation are the establishment of strong functional markets that have supply chains that source from the smallholder farmers um, and that build larger a larger workforce of farm through value addition, agro-processing and other industries. This is where a lot of, this is exciting to me because it build rural economies into vibrant sectors where young people can get jobs, especially young women, um, because there are so many um, areas where young people can work in a vibrant economy. It's, sometimes it's not just even the production, production we talk about, the value addition, the logistics, the transport. There are so many things that they can work on. Those are the things that excite me. And I think as we continue to work with smallholder farmers, to improve their productivity, to improve their access to markets, we are building that 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 sector to be strong. Just to give you an example, in uh, Nigeria, one in two of the the, the 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 states we work in, some of the private sector has actually increased businesses by forty percent because of wow. the reach of. Or, 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 of, or because of the ability to source from the smallholder farmers. So if a smallholder farmer knows that they have a market, they are motivated to buy seeds, they are motivated to buy fertilizer, they are motivated to grow, to learn and to grow what the market requires. So that excites me. Awesome. Refer Thanks a ton. It was such an insightful conversation. It just helped me visualize a lot of the work that you and team are, are actually both planning and delivering on ground uh, across the African continent. 
you touched upon some amazing key points that are super critical for us to probably not just uh think of it in context of uh africa as a region but a lot of which can be re- replicated across the globe in other small holder farmer markets uh, uh including countries like india uh where cropin is headquartered um but the things around having a robust uh and and a vibrant uh ecosystem especially from uh from a financial market perspective so that can support uh the smallholder farmer ecosystem in an integrated manner building a uh, capacity and sustainable capacity ensuring there is more inclusivity uh, across the entire smallholder farmer ecosystem bringing in more and more both gender diversity as well as bringing in marginalized segments of the community into the the core ecosystem super critical the the role that the right policies and frameworks can enable uh, both the smallholder farmers as well as the other key stakeholders be it uh governments who who have to think of this and enable stakeholders like private entities as well as development agencies like agra i think all of them were very very interesting insights so far thank you for sharing your experience and expertise with us um and it is it is a pleasure that you could join us and and really enlighten us with these inputs thank you very much it was a lot of learning for me as well Thank you to Faro and everyone with that we come to the end of this particular episode uh like always stay tuned in uh for the next episode 